0: Rwanda, and we have enjoyed your partnership, enjoyed your relationship, almost as much as I've enjoyed coming and seeing the elk head. <laughs> it's always a joy. <laughs> and, it, it, you know, many of you may know our story, but I know you guys have been praying for us. We were serving in Rwanda, and then our daughter got really sick. We took her home. She had an infection. We don't know what, to this day, what that infection was. But then her body had an autoimmune response. So she developed this very rare autoimmune disorder where her immune system was attacking her nerve cells. So her brain and her spine were inflamed. Uh, so much so that she couldn't keep her eyes straight. She couldn't sit up. Uh, she couldn't control her body. She, so it was really scary. And uh, we were really thankful that we were here that we had brought her here. Now, she was down at CHOP, the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia. They really took care of her. And we thank God that she's doing really well right now. The doctor said this was back in November when she was in the hospital for a few weeks. We're going to give her the steroid therapy, suppress her immune system, if, and then allow her immune system to reset if, she doesn't have another autoimmune response in the next six months, that really reduces the chances that she's going to have a lifelong battle. So, you know, we can't bank on that, but it's still a huge relief. Um, you know, she'll continue to get MRI checks uh, occasionally just to make sure that there's no in- new inflammation happening, but we're really thankful for where she's at. And... Uh, yeah, I mean, we we now are back, we're, we're back in the States, we actually bought a house in New Jersey, and it's interesting, we had to learn this principle, Jesus tells his apostles to go out, make disciples, go preach in the villages. He also tells them that though you will be persecuted and though you will face hardship, that... It's better to live to preach another day. <laughs> and uh, that was a clear thing from God. It, w- it was better for us to be able to see our daughter live than to stay in a context where she was in serious danger in, in Rwanda. And so we're trying to live this principle out, even as we're trying to be his disciples. <laughs> and, and right now we have this new adventure, This this this... New difficult challenge of, of, instead of moving constantly and living in Africa, owning a house and living <laughs> in the place we're probably going to live for a lot of years. Our kids will probably go to school and just, and grow up, and I think we all know that that's also, for some of us, a big challenge, <laughs> just to be consistent and faithful, faithful witness of Christ where we are at. God has given us the opportunity to partner with a church called Epiphany Fellowship of Camden, and Epiphany Fellowship is in North Camden. It's one of the most poorest, violent communities in America. We continue to raise our support, we're thankful that you guys, a lot of you guys have Continued to support us, and we're really thankful for that. And we are also hoping to plant a church, a new congregation of that church, right where we live, which is called Gloucester City, and it's it's a it's it's, it's like a overwhelmingly Irish neighborhood, blue collar, um, exactly the, the type of background I actually come from. So it, it is like a real hard going home not just coming home but coming home <laughs> to pretty much exactly where i started as a kid and you know being around folks that that need jesus and are a whole lot like me and we're really we're thankful for this this new adventure before we get into This series, you guys have been walking through the Apostles' Creed. I just want to pray. I want to pray for all of us that God would open up our hearts and that he would speak to us this morning. Jesus, thank you for this creed. Thank you for our brothers and sisters around the world who will gather this morning and speak these words in many, many languages around the world. Thank you for the truth it contains. Lord, we just thank you for the gospel. And we pray this morning as we look at this creed and we look particularly at the miracle, the mystery, the incredible gift of the incarnation of you our Creator being conceived. How can our minds, how can our souls wrap around this? Lord, we pray that you would encourage us this morning. We pray that you would challenge us. And we pray, Father, that we would want to follow you more and we would love you more because we've been with you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, in many traditions of churches, you will actually say the Apostles' Creed sometimes before you're baptized, oftentimes before communion. So, in a lot of churches, before you take communion, the the minister will say, Christians, say what you believe. And then the response is, they say the Apostles' Creed. (laughs) Right. Um,. there's a reason for that. What we see in this creed, and you probably have begun to notice this as you've been doing this series for a little bit, is that the creed is not heavy on interpretation, but it is on proclamation. The the creed is, is really the center of what Christians believe. And what's at center of what we believe is not so much our reflection, but on what happened. Most of the creed is about what happened. We're talking about how Jesus was born. (laughs) We're talking about who his mother was. We're talking about who was the actual person in charge, and crucified him. And this is very, very different than what's at the center of most faiths. And we really, this is really our goal. We want to be defined, not so much about our interpretation and what this means for us, but we want to be united with other believers around the world, and we want the center of our faith to be around this. God came To us in Jesus. That unites us all. Now we have different reflections on that and we live it out and we should. But the creed is not so much about our particular theology and our theological reflections. It's about God did break into history and saved us. And we say that with all other Christians. It's the thing that unifies us. And it ought to be the thing that we feel a particular charge to share with others. Like, we are not primarily wanting to introduce our neighbors to John Piper, are we? Or whoever your favorite teacher is. You want to introduce them to Jesus, and not so much your reflection of what Jesus has been for you, although that's important. You want to introduce people to the Jesus, the real Jesus, who came into a real world to set us free from real sin. Because all the things that we confess in the Apostles' Creed are just realities that we have. That's what we're, that's what we're saying with believers. And We're saying this creed, and people are saying it in very different contexts, very different cultural frameworks. And yet they are saying the same thing. We're bonded together with them, no matter where they are. I remember one time I was in India. This was back maybe 16 years ago. And I'm on a train in India, and I'm sitting next to a guy. He's, you know, an Indian guy, and we start talking because he speaks English, and that was awesome, because I was in a zone where a lot of times I didn't have anyone to talk to for a while, because I was traveling by myself. And uh, so we strike up a conversation, and I tell him what I'm doing. And at, the, at that time, I was serving in Kenya after high school, I worked a year, and then I went and spent a year in Kenya. And I told him, you know, I'm I'm working with a church in Africa, but our church in Africa, uh, some of the members had weddings in India, so I came to visit India and just learn about India. And the guy on the bus says, you know, the problem I have with you Christians. Now, that's interesting because I I, I wasn't really prepared to talk about religion, (laughs) but I was just telling him what I do and just we're just introducing you know ourselves anyway he comes at me the problem i have with 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 you christians is that you know you set up all of these hospitals and all these different places orphanages schools whatever and you do it so that you can convert people but shouldn't we just do that because we're called to be good I looked at him and I said, you know, actually as a Christian, it's not that I want to win people over to my side and my reflection on the truth as if I have discovered something that you haven't. But actually the way to become a Christian is to admit that you don't have it. It's the way to become a Christian is to admit that you don't know the way. You don't know the path. You don't know how to go forward. But you do know you need a Savior. And, you know, it was awesome. We, we just got deeper and deeper in the conversation. And he, he began to realize, because he had not really been able to talk to a, a follower of Christ, it was clear he hadn't never really heard the gospel of Jesus, the gospel of God's grace, that he... He really was hearing for the first time what it's all about to follow Jesus. Not that we listen to Jesus because he had some dream or an angel spoke to him or he had just some better teaching and we like Jesus' teaching better than everybody else's teaching and then we want to spread that teaching around the world because other people's teaching isn't good. No. No. We realize that our biggest problem is in ignorance, but that we're a part of this rebellion against God. That our biggest problem is not outside ourselves, it's not attaining some knowledge that we just didn't know about, but really our biggest problem is we kick against God who created us. We want to run and hide from Him. And our biggest need is a Savior. We need God to meet us where we're at. We need God to come to us. We can't go to him. You know, yeah, in the past, God did speak through his servants, through dreams and visions. They wrote down what they experienced of God in their lives. But in the last days, he spoke through his very son so that God himself broke into history, God himself came to us in Jesus, that we would know him. And that's what the creed is all about. It's people from all different cultures saying, we were lost, and then Jesus came to us to save us. This morning, we want to look at the article of the creed that says, that contains the phrase, he was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born. Born. Of the virgin mary and of course there are a lot of potential sermons here you know we could have a sermon about mary we could have a sermon about the holy spirit we could have a sermon about virginity i mean and and many more but we are going to look this morning at just the concept just the idea that jesus is the incarnation of God. That there was this miraculous birth that Jesus was conceived by the Spirit. That Jesus had no earthly human father. He was born of Mary and he is both completely human and yet completely divine and the scripture that i want us to look at and let speak to us through this message comes from 2 Corinthians 2:8:9 2, 2 Corinthians chapter 8 verse 9 let me read it for your hearing for you know the grace of our lord jesus christ that though he was rich yet for your sake he became poor that you might, by his poverty, become rich. I want to talk first. I only have two points. First point is, what is this not? What is the incarnation not? And I want to give a little disclaimer because I'm going to talk about something that might be a little controversial, might be a little bit out of the normal narrative, especially for those who have grown up in the church, been in ministry, especially if you've done cross-cultural ministry, youth ministry, anything like that. What I want to suggest to you this morning, and I am feel obviously convicted that this is important enough to share with you, is that the incarnation, I believe, is not a model of ministry for us. Not a model. We are not to extend the incarnation of Jesus as a pattern for us to do ministry where God has placed us. So, now you ask a missionary, and they all have stories of cultural mistakes. Missionaries get a lot of training, and a lot of times you get this training of this incarnational model of ministry. But we also, as a missionary, I can tell you that we ourselves have had these, like, cultural mismatches. Um, There's a word in Kinyarwanda, there's many words in Kinyarwanda that sound almost exactly the same, but they have extremely different meanings. So one of those is gusar, which means to visit someone. But if if you say gusar, it means to fart okay? So when you're talking about what you did at someone's house, current or past tense, you better say it right, (laughs) or it's going to be some confusion. There's going to be some cultural mismatch. It's going to be a mistake. But other mistakes are not so small. And one of the the cultural things that happens in a place like Rwanda is, those who have been orphaned for many reasons, often by war, they will look for people to stand in as their parents when they get married. So there's there, there's a wedding, and maybe you have a friend, and they look at you and they say, "Will you be in our wedding? Will you be my father in our wedding?" And for us, Americans, not knowing the culture, that sounds like, oh, that's like a real honor. Let me be the father in your wedding. I, I don't care. It's what? It's one, two events in a week. That's no big deal. I can do that. Um, I'll get to learn a little culture, see a different wedding. But that's because, that's because you don't understand what they're asking. They're not just asking for you to be a father in their wedding, one-off, come to the event, and say you give the, the bride. No, it's, it's much more involved than that. They're asking you to negotiate the dowry. They're asking you to take care of them if their husband ever leaves them. For the rest of their life. <laughs> They're asking you to not be father in some metaphorical sense. They're asking you to be a real father who adopts them. This is pretty common. So obviously, that's a really big mistake (laughs) if you were to agree to something and you have no idea what you agreed to. I I think when we talk about incarnation as a model of ministry, we kind of do that. We... We use language and we talk about, hey, we need to be Jesus to the people all around us. We need, to, we, we need to follow Jesus and incarnate into the culture of Camp Hill, the West Shore, Harrisburg. We're actually biting off a whole lot more than we can chew. And, and it's just theologically and biblically wrong as well. Um, this whole concept of incarnational ministry popped up in response to a lot of things that really needed to be corrected. A ministry that is very traditional, not relational, programmatic. And we need to not be those things. That's not what I'm saying. But at the same time, there are better pictures there are better biblical models than saying incarnation. Uh, One of the trainings that you do as a missionary based on this incarnational model is to say Jesus was the model missionary that we follow. So Jesus was completely God and then he became human and he learned, and, and not just human, but he learned particularly the Jewish culture and us as well. We want to follow Jesus in this. We want, to, we want to kind of become part of the community and follow Jesus in all these steps. And you have this phrase where you become 150% of a person because as people, we can't possibly have two cultures completely. So as we become to begin to enculturate, we lose part of ourselves. We, we, we become less of our, like as Americans, for example, in Rwanda you lose a, a part of your Americanness and you start to become partly Rwandan. So maybe now the goal is for you to be 75% American and 75% Rwandan so that you can now be Jesus to those around you as good as you can. Here's a quote from J. Todd Billings who's been really helpful um, helping me think through this, and he wrote a book called Union with Christ, which is very good, talking about how we are united with God through Christ, and how that is really a much better model for ministry. He says, it's important to offer a ministry of presence to those in need. But when the gospel is reduced to identifying with others, the uniqueness of Christ's incarnation becomes an afterthought. When we are so focused on becoming like others and continuing the incarnation of Jesus, we begin to think our own presence is redemptive. We begin to think just by being there. And sometimes it pulls away from us relying on the Spirit of God and testifying about Jesus. So we think we're here. And we're loving people, and we're trying to be Jesus to people. No, they don't need you. They need Jesus. <laughs> Just two quick observations on some objections that might be popping in your head. What about Philippians 2? Have the same mind as Jesus. That's taught as well if you've been introduced to this incarnation Listen, we're called to imitate Christ. That's been taught for centuries. (laughs) We're supposed to imitate the humility of Jesus. But we do not... Imitation is not the same as incarnation. And we steal from the mystery and the awesomeness and the uniqueness of Jesus when we talk about our own ministry as a ministry of incarnation. What about the body of Christ? Well, the body of Christ, the way Paul uses it in the New Testament, is mainly about how we are all connected to Jesus as the head. And then we all function in different ways for the benefit of the body. So the body of Christ is not mainly really about you being the hand of God to wipe away the tears from those who are outside of God's family, who are not Followers of Christ but it's mainly talking about how we all play a role and have a ministry in Jesus and together as his people'd love to talk to you after if you still have questions really isn't my point to, to to criticize this this model of ministry if you really believe in it my my point is even if you believe in it and you're convinced of it, let's set aside this morning to think about how the incarnation is unique and how we cannot repeat the incarnation. So, I want to talk about what it is. We're talking about how God, though he was rich, Jesus was rich, Jesus was in heaven. Jesus, Jesus was all right. He didn't have to come down here. He didn't have to come down to this sinful land, the low land of sorrows. He didn't have to come in to this planet full of people who rebelled against God. But he did. He came down. He was conceived. Think about that. The Son of God was conceived... The one we read earlier, the world was made through him. Everything was made through Jesus. And yet somehow he was conceived as this helpless baby with animals exposed. God sent his son. to live among us, but not in our best situation, in our worst situation. Just a few years old, and Jesus makes it on Herod's hit list. You know you're a dangerous king, a threat to the established order, when you're a baby and you get on someone's hit list, right? I mean, Jesus is fleeing Egypt before he's even a man. Jesus is vulnerable all of, these, all of his life, living in true poverty, living around those who have rebelled against God. When we talk about incarnation, the, what we're talking about is becoming incarnate. You know This is not like vegetables or chicken. This is carne. Like, I think we're going to have some Mexican later. And, you know, you get carne, you get meat, red meat, you know. Jesus became enfleshed. He became a man with all the weaknesses that come with that. Now, can you be a Christian if you don't believe that Jesus was born of a virgin Mary? That's an interesting question. Um, I think it clearly is yes because I don't think everybody even in Jesus' day and Paul never talks about the virgin birth. I'm sure there are people who don't know that Jesus was born as a virgin and yet know Jesus as their savior. But, Can you be a Christian? This is a different question. Can you be a Christian if you don't believe it's possible for a virgin to give birth? Can you be a Christian if you don't believe that miracles are possible or likely? That's more difficult. That's a bigger question, isn't it? The incarnation is a miracle. The Incarnation is a mystery, but it is a straight-up miracle we cannot wrap our heads around. And the Bible is very clear that Jesus was born of a virgin. And that Jesus is not just an ordinary prophet or a good teacher, but that he is the very image of God. He's the human face of God, He is the image of an invisible God who created the world. It's through Jesus that we know about God and what he's like through his life, through his love, through his teaching, ultimately through his birth, death, and resurrection. Calvin said, the Son of God became the Son of Man that the sons of men might become the sons of God. Jesus came to save us. Think about this just for a second. What Paul argues in Romans 8 if God doesn't spare his own son, what is he not going to give us? We'll think about it in the opposite. What else could God have done to save us besides come in our weakness? Be among us. Live under the law. Live the perfect life we should have lived. Died the death we deserve to die. What else could God have done to save us? There is nothing else. God is perfect. God is good. At the end of the day, this idea of incarnation and incarnational model of ministry, we have to ask ourselves, is our presence redemptive? If it's not, then how does God use us in this world? He does use us. This is the, this is the mystery of the gospel. As we proclaim him, he uses us the same way he used Mary in Luke 1. What did it say Mary was? Mary was overshadowed by the Holy Spirit. This is how God uses us. He uses us as we witness to Jesus while being overshadowed by the Holy Spirit. This is something the New Testament describes as a mystery. The New Testament says that the incarnation of Christ is a mystery, which is not like what we think of mystery. In the New Testament, it means This is something that in the past was cloudy. It was like a riddle, but now it's very clear. It's been made known. The mystery of the gospel is that God came as a man to do what we couldn't, to save us, to be the sacrifice for us, that we might become friends of God again. I pray for you, Liberty. I pray for myself. I pray that we would be overshadowed by the Holy Spirit. I pray that we would be able to meditate on, think about, pray about the miracle of the Incarnation, that Jesus came to us. So I want you to take a a, a back seat just for today. It's okay sometimes, not to think about the drumbeat of what you've got to do for Harrisburg and the West Shore and wherever in the world, but think about this, we would all be hopeless if God hadn't come. The incarnation is unique. We testify to that. We're blown away by that, that God would not spare his own son, but give him up for us. Now, I know the mission of Liberty Church is to live, speak, and serve as the very presence of Jesus in our neighborhoods, right? And that's not a bad mission statement at all. Do you realize, though, that the original language that was used for that mission statement, you might not know this, is a bit longer, and it got cut down just for the length of it, called and sent by the Spirit. We seek to live, speak, and serve as the very presence of Jesus. I like that. And... We all need that. We all need to remember that the kingdom comes and the presence of God comes when Jesus is in us, not because of us, not in our effort trying to understand people, get into society, uh, put on our missionary skills and model the incarnation. No, the kingdom comes when we love people And see ourselves as servants of people, imitating Jesus in his humility, but always pointing to Jesus in the miraculous thing he did. It's never the kingdom is coming because we're here being better business people, because we're here taking out the trash for our neighbors. No. It's all about Jesus. It's all about what he's done. The miracle of him coming into this world. I hope we're together. I hope you can see the difference. It's very close, but it's different. And I want to save you from the burnout that I've seen many people go through as they've sought to be Jesus. (laughs) You are just called to participate in what he's doing. That's something that we have had to learn personally. We are just tools in his hands. Wherever he wants us to be, that's where we need to be. When I was in Rwanda, we used to send people out in the streets. We had a, a college for people who would be coming into ministry. And I said, listen, go out here where the train is. Go out here where the buses are. And I say, talk to people, but you are not going to have a canned Five point, this is what the gospel is. All you're going to do is ask people what they think about the church. You're not allowed to do anything else. Now, you could offer to pray for folks, and you can give them your contact. And at some other point, you can tell them about Jesus and the gospel. But I really want this time to just be about learning what people are thinking about the church. And it was shocking to my students Because they would go out there and they would talk to just random people and they would hear so many stories after stories of people who have been hurt by the church. People who have given up on the church. People who have seen corruption, scandal, greed, and all kinds of vile things being done by leaders in the church. on my block and where we live now in Gloucester City is not much different just about everybody that we live next to in our neighborhood is married i mean is not married they have kids they're together they they're trying to work they're trying to work things out but their kids aren't growing up in the church and they aren't involved in it and you know why because of all the stuff, all the baggage that they have. What does my conversation need to be with them? I need to pull back. Yes, this is what churches have done. This is what your church has done. This is likely what I might do as a sinner. But I want to ask you, what do you think about Jesus? I want to point you to Jesus and who he is. Because we connect ourselves so tightly with how people will see God, we will fall short. We will cloud, we poison the water, right? We need to point people to Jesus. Yeah, the church is screwed up and there's all these problems. But have you ever read Jesus' words for yourself? Have you ever looked at his life for yourself? That's the challenge that we have. We need to point people back to the miracle, to the mystery, to the beauty of Jesus himself. I wanna encourage you with this very passive sermon this morning, you're not the dad at the wedding. (laughs) You're not the dad at the wedding. Don't try to be. It's okay to say you're not. It's okay to say, you know what, I am not Jesus. (laughs) I seek by the Holy Spirit to imitate Jesus, point people to Jesus, live for him, follow him, but I'm not him. Jesus is the dad at the wedding. <laughs> He's the one that can take care of you. I can't. He's the one who can save your soul. I can't. He's the one that you can follow and trust completely. You can't do that with any. Human being other than Jesus who you know is completely human and yet completely god that's the crazy part let me pray for you god we thank you for the incarnation we thank you that you were born you were conceived of the holy spirit you were born of the virgin mary we thank you that you though being rich in heaven At the right hand of God the Father, enjoying eternal and everlasting joy as the creator, as the pure one, as the awesome one, you came into our poverty. You came into our sickness and sin, that we could be clean, that we could know your riches, that we could know your joy. God, we thank you for that. We pray, Father, that we would imitate you. We pray we would follow you. But, Lord, we thank you that we cannot be you. You are alone, apart, and utterly holy. We pray for your presence. We do pray for your presence here. We pray for your presence in our lives but we can't manufacture that by strategy, by models of ministry. We pray we would be overcome like Mary was by your Spirit. We pray these things. In Jesus' name, amen.